Your Bible's open to Mark chapter 12. Keep it open because I want to speak to you on this thing about the widow's offering. And when giving less, it's giving more. David Jeremiah pastors out in California. He pastors out in San Diego. He has a powerful ministry and I, I love to listen to him on the radio and television and, and to uh, even read his resources and, and uh, see what God's saying to him for the church. But one of the things he said that was unique to him in his years of growing up is that he had this capacity to collect epitaphs, meaning sayings from tombstones. He's fascinated by that, and I guess maybe because he's a pastor, he, like myself, have uh, numbers of occasions to be in cemeteries. And, uh, and I know that when I'm in a cemetery and the weather permits, I like to uh, roam around a little bit and see what the tombstone, what the epitaph is, what the sayings are on it. And kind of think about what family members thought of their loved ones when they inscribed these final words on their tombstone. And it's amazing to me, and perhaps to you, uh, what people have written on their tombstones. Many times, with their permission. How brut brutally frank and honest the messages you read chisel in stone. And in, in kind of following some of the messages that I've heard or, or, or even uh, Dr. David Jeremiah mentioned from his collection, he speaks about one cemetery in Lee, Massachusetts. And in one cemetery, on the tombstone are these words. In memory of Mrs. Alpha White, who weighed 309 pounds. Really, they put it on there. And then this is the epitaph. This is what they say after saying that. Open wide, you heavenly gates that lead to the heavenly shore. Our father suffered in passing through and mother weighed much more. She'll either kill him when they get to heaven or she's already... Here's another one that kind of goes like that. Very true. Epitaph on a tombstone. Here lies the body of Mary Ann Brown. A debt she weighed 400 pounds. But now in peace and joy she rests in sweet repose on Abraham's breast. A little boy came along after and he saw that epitaph and he added to it. It may be sweet for Mary Ann, but it's awfully tough for Abraham. <laughs> Thomas Malvaney in Midfield, Massachusetts was buried there and his stone reads, Old Thomas Malvaney lies here. His mouth ran from ear to ear. Read a thread lightly on this wonder, for if he yawns, you're going to thunder. I thought, isn't it? A gentleman told me after I read this in, in leaving the second service, he said Mark Twain and uh, a friend was walking through the cemetery reading the tombstones. And Mark Twain observes on one tombstone, it says, here lies a lawyer and an honest man. And Mark Twain looked around at his friend and said, Two men are buried in that grave. <laughs> no offense, lawyer. That's, that was Mark Twain. Here's another one I think you'll like. It says, here lies the body of old man Pease, buried beneath the flowers and trees. But Pease ain't here, just a pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. <laughs> now, ain't that good theology? You ought to clap for that. Yeah. That tells you what's going to happen when you leave this house of clay and go to be with the Lord. Now, I told you all that because epitaphs often are suggestions of what our lives are really like. Some of you have read of the, uh, the individual by the name of Alfred Nobel. 
Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist who invented dynamite and other powerful explosives. He accumulated a vast amount of fortune selling explosives to governments around the world for use in military applications, ultimately intended for the destruction of life and property. When Alfred Nobel's brother died, a newspaper obituary mistakenly described Alfred's life instead of his brother. And in the obituary, it detailed how he became wealthy by enabling people to kill each other in unprecedented numbers. When someone sent a copy of the obituary to Alfred Nobel, he was so shocked when he read the summary of his life's work that he vowed to use his fortune to reward accomplishments which benefited humanity instead of destroying it. And from that decision, we have today what is known as the Nobel Prize. You've heard of the Nobel Prize? And the Nobel Prize recognizes achievements in six fields of human accomplishments, the seventh field also being that of those who strive for world peace. Most of us will not have the opportunity to read our obituary before it's published and have enough time to change our lives in such a way that it will alter how we are remembered. We don't get the chance to see how people evaluate us before it's too late for us to do anything about it. Can I get an amen? Here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 41, there is a story of a woman who received a judgment on her life along with some others before her life was ended. Fortunately for this woman, the estimation of her life was a very positive estimation and serves as an example to everybody who reads about her life many years after her death. And so Jesus, in another account, and, and this is Luke's account, but in, in pardon me, in, in Mark's account, but in Luke's account, it talks about Jesus' observation of this widow and her generosity to the treasury of the house of God and he said that this would be a memorial a epitaph a tombstone for her in a positive way now this then causes me to try to glean from this lesson what the Lord is saying to us about when giving less is giving more Jesus number one watched the giving at the Treasury we already know that God Jesus sees everything can I get an amen? As an all-seeing eye of God, he sees everything. Whether that, whether that is a comfort to you or a threat to you depends on what we're doing when he is seeing. In regards to this woman Jesus watched one day at the temple, his observation became a compliment. For others, however, his gaze did not yield words of commendation. I believe that Jesus' decision to watch the treasury that day had more to do with just a simple straying gaze at an elderly woman. Let me explain. Jesus watched the giving at the treasury. He was interested in who was giving. Let me explain. Here at the temple treasury, those who came to worship deposited contributions for the temple ministry. Like you and I do when we come to the house of God, like we will later on in the service, 
When we come to the house of God, we bring our tithe and our offerings, the first fruits of God's blessings this week, and deposit it in the house of God so the work of the ministry can go on. Back in the Old Testament days, they were to bring goats and rams and turtle doves and pigeons and the first fruits of their crops in an expression to say, thank you God that everything I have and gotten this week or this last month, depending how uh, frequently they attended the temple, I am bringing a portion of it because of gratitude and I am giving it so that the work of the Lord can bless somebody else. In the New Testament, after Jesus died for our sins and he became the Lamb of God slain for the foundation of the world and there was no longer need for rams and goats and turtle doves and pigeons that bore our sins and were sacrificed to the sins of the worshipers, after the New Covenant, the Lord instructed the church and the apostles who instructed the worshipers who now they are pastors like myself who instruct you that the Bible says that the first of the week bring your tithe which is 10% of your income and bring your offerings whatever you can give above that bring it to the house of God that there may be food in my house that there may be ministry in my house so in your name every week we bless people there are lights on today and, and you have a, a padded pew and you have a carpeted church and you have a choir and you have ministry to the children and to the youth and we, we bless people this week on your behalf in missions and in benevolence and we bless the work of the kingdom of God by way of recovery house and by way of Joseph storehouse and we do the work of the ministry in places you cannot go or I cannot go because of the limitation of our time and resources but we send and bless others here and elsewhere because people give to the Lord the Lord Jesus was sitting watching as they brought their gifts of money to the treasury this particular account takes place on the Tuesday of the week that is known as Passion Week where Jesus was crucified historians tell us that in the temple there was a room known as the collection room and there were collection boxes there were collection boxes maybe made some of what of the order of this uh, prayer chest okay made from metal okay so you had collection boxes like this but on the top of the boxes the receptacle was a funnel shaped receptacle so in top of this box and attached to it you might imagine a, a, a funnel shaped receptacle shaped like the mouth of a trumpet okay and people from all walks of life would come and this was the week of the Passover so there were many more people in Jerusalem than there normally are during the year because the Passover was the highest and best attended feast of all the feasts on the Jewish calendar they were coming to honor the Lord and they came from not only rural uh, uh, areas but they came from all over Judah and Israel and other parts of Israel and they came to Jerusalem and and when they come they would they would place their money in that throw their money into that funnel shape made out of metal funnel and it would fall into the receptacle box made out of metal and out of that way people would line up at Passover long lines rich and poor and young and old and have a lot and not have a lot and part of their worship they'd come by there were 13 receptacle boxes in the collection room and they'd throw their money in in obedience to the teaching of the Lord now not only was Jesus interested in who was giving Jesus was interested in what they were giving history informs that some of the Pharisees would take whatever monies they were going to contribute and have them changed into the most number of coins possibly 
like taking a quarter and changing it into 25 pennies. Then the Pharisees would come to the treasury and they would stand back and they would take their coins and throw it into the funnel-shaped receptacle that makes a lot of noise and it would fall into the metal base that makes a lot of noise and all the rattle and clattering and noise from their offering would draw attention to them and uh, Jesus rebuked them because they were often dishonest they would give the appearance by giving a lot of coins that they were giving a large offering when all they were doing was giving change and the Lord rebuked them for hypocrisy I, I spoke about this last Sunday perhaps you'll get the CD if you haven't about Ananias and Sapphira I spoke about God saying give as I prosper you but give honestly I spoke about how God hates hypocrisy and how Ananias and Sapphira because of wanting recognition like Barnabas got lied about the gifts they gave to the work of the Lord and God killed them because God hates sin premeditated sin any kind of sin now it's interesting brothers and sisters that the last recorded public act of ministry of Jesus has to do with finances at least in the book of Mark half of the parables of Jesus in the Gospels were devoted to the stewardship of finances 15% of all Jesus's recorded words and if you have a red letter edition of the gospel then that would be the words of Jesus the red letter words 15% of his recorded words have to do with stewardship and finances so it begs this question why did Jesus place so much emphasis in his ministry and teachings on the subject of money there are more than one answers to that but I have two that the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you and number one is this money or part of the process is money is life compressed let me explain and you might want to write this down money represents the fruit of who we are and what we do you see we here in America spend a lot of time making money spending money investing money saving money and wasting money because money is life compressed let me clarify first we earn money and by earning money we are making a statement of who we are now listen to the pastor if you have the capacity the physical strength the mental know-how the ability in yourself to earn a living and make money and pay your own way do it somebody ought to say amen because it makes a statement of who you are meaning I don't expect somebody to carry my weight if I can do it myself it makes a statement that says I'm a husband therefore I'm a provider I'm a wife but even though our family are going through a certain difficult time I will help my husband and our family and if necessary and I have to work I can do that also but but my point is this if you're a single mom a teenager a college student whatever if you have the physical capacity the mental capacity to get a job and work a job and gain an income you are saying God you've given me this ability I'm gonna carry my own weight I'm gonna bless myself and my family and in the process I'm gonna bless somebody else I am not going to be a lazy no good slouch 
part of the reason that America is going through this economic turmoil we are is because too many Americans expect somebody else to pay their way. I'm preaching, okay? And I'm not running for government office, so I'm preaching the gospel. And part of the problem in America is too many parents have raised up kids to make them come to believe that somebody else owes them something. Let me tell you something. The first car I had, I had to buy it. It was a 1968 Plymouth Valiant. Some of you don't even know what a Plymouth Valiant is. I paid $500 for that car, and if you push the brakes too far down, your feet would go out through the floor, and you could be like Fred Flintstone stopping your car with your feet. But I paid for that, baby. It didn't look like a whole lot. It had vinyl seats and a cracked dashboard, and the steering wheel was bigger than I am because back then I was a little smaller than I am now and, and round, you know what I mean? And, and the fact of the matter is, when I paid for that thing, I washed that thing, I waxed that thing, I shined it up, I took care of it because I, it said something about who I am. Oh, well, we got kids in America now that are no longer kids. They're 21, 22, 25, 30. And they want to sleep to 12 o'clock in the daytime. And if you want to know my pet peeve, I'm telling you, they want to sleep to 1 o'clock in the daytime. They want their mama and daddy to buy their beer and cigarette and buy their movies and watch movies till later on in the night and not go find a job. And that kind of kid, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I tell you, they have a fast diet and they get lean or they'll get a job. Preach on, preacher. Yeah. If you're waiting for President Obama to bail you out, you're going to die before that happens. If you're waiting for the federal government to bail you out, you're going to die before that happens. Our own government can't print enough money to bail their own mess out. But if you trust God and you say everything I have is yours and you only ask for 10% and offering along the way, the Lord giveth and the Lord will prosper me. If you trust God, he'll not only bail you out, he'll bless you till your grave and after your grave. Amen, amen, and amen. And so I simply want you to see, brothers and sisters, that it matters. It says something money and how you handle it says something about who you are, but here's something else. Money is a statement of what we believe is important. You'd be amazed what people believe is important if you check their checkbook. Oh God, help me. I feel a spirit of mean, but I got to stay anointed. <laughs> check your credit card account. Check your checkbook. Check your receipts. And money and the way we spend money tells about our life what we think is important. And, and I'm suggesting to you that when we choose to give money to God, we are giving Him part of who we are and part of what we think is important. We think your church is important, God. We think the spreading of the gospel is important, God. We think feeding the orphans and clothing them is important, God. We think helping the people in the church is important, God. We think building a larger church so more people can come and receive the word of God and be changed is important, God. We think having a staff that takes care of the church and helping and blessing their lives and families is important, God. We think about people, we think of all that the church does and we're saying by giving money that this is important to us also let me say this to you if Jesus took time to watch how people handled money in his day I think it's safe to assume that he's still watching today you see this text implies that Jesus was looking so close he was just giving a little casual glance he was looking so close until he observed two little copper coins coming out of the shriveled maybe gnarled hand of a widow old widow he looked so intently he knew 
in the midst of all the clatter and the noise and everybody else giving, he knew exactly what was going on because he was interested in who was giving and what they were giving. You know, sometimes I've been like this, and maybe this is you too, or have been. Sometimes we are prone to think that what we do with our money is our business alone. But it's obviously God's business as well. Because Jesus did not make any apology for watching the people and drawing comparisons based on what he saw. And after Jesus saw what he did by this generosity and benevolence of a widow woman, he calls his disciples together and gives them an object lesson. And here's what he observes. Jesus watched the circumstances from which people gave. It's not by accident that Jesus says this woman is poor. It's important to his object lesson. The scripture uses a word here to indicate that she was essentially a pauper or a beggar. Someone who had nothing. Somebody said, well, pastor, how can Jesus know so much about this woman in the midst of hundreds of people giving offering by just, he didn't even talk to her, ask her about her life. And how can he know she's a widow, she's poor, she has no other means, and these are her last coins. Because don't forget, while Jesus was on this earth in human flesh, he was also 100% God. Amen. Say a good amen, somebody. Amen. Now, now, you and I can't look at each other and make all the right assumptions about each other. You and I can look at each other. We come to Sunday church and we probably had our best in our attire and our demeanor and our appearance and our clothing. And we probably come in our best car. We, all this kind of stuff. And we look at each other and we can't really surmise accurately by looking at each other, each other's circumstance. But because Jesus is God, he was able to conclude by looking at this woman that she's a widow. She has no husband. She has no children to help her. She also has two copper coins, which is the last bit of money that she has. He knew every detail about her life. Just like today in 2009, that we are going through difficult times financially. He knows which one of you have been laid off. He knows which one of you have taken a pay cut. Can I get an amen? He knows which one of you have had to make an adjustment in a lot of areas of your life you've been you, you, you're just hurting because the company have moved and and you might have to move and he knows that you're waiting for a job he knows how many applications you put in Jesus knows not just about our money he knows about our health about our marriage about our children about our addiction and our fears if we have them he knows everything about us so that you have to pay for gasoline and groceries and mortgage it doesn't take God by surprise Pastors like myself are often approached by people like single adults, college students, senior adults, or people who are going through difficult places in their lives, and they are approached by us and say something like this, and I've had people say this to me. Not the words verbatim, but the, but the same principle. They say, Pastor, is this teaching on giving really for me? I mean, my situation is so limited right now, Pastor, that I don't know how I can do what you're suggesting. How could God expect me to do this? And folks, let me tell you this. The truth of the matter is that God knows our situation. Every one of us. And God would not ask us to do something we could not do. Some people hide behind having many resources. Well, Pastor, I have so many bills. I have so many resources. I have so many people that I'm responsible for. I'm an employer. I have a company. I have tools. I have equipment. I have all this stuff I got to pay for that right now I can't afford to tithe and take care of that too. Many resources. And then other people hide behind the fact that I have little resources. I can barely make ends meet, Pastor. How can you suggest and how can God suggest that I give? And here's the point. 
Sometimes well-meaning Christians try to keep those who have little from giving by saying God wouldn't expect them to give out of their poverty. But God, Jesus, who is God, sat and watched a poverty-stricken woman put her last two coins into the treasury and he did not stop her. Because he wanted her to learn that when you give out of your need, it's when the windows of heaven are truly open to you. He wanted her to learn that if you sacrificially obey God in the midst of a recession or depression or loss of job, but you bring an offering anyhow, that's when you prove the power of God. Anybody can give out of abundance. Anybody can tip God and slip a dollar, five dollars when everything's going good. But it takes a woman in the middle of a famine when asked by a prophet to fix a meal and she knows all she got is one more meal left and it ain't a lot. She got a boy and she and her boy are going to take the last bit of meal in the barrel where she keeps the meal and the last bit of oil in the vase in which she keeps the oil. She is gathering up twigs to go build a fire. There's a famine going on. This is their last meal and they're going to die after this because you don't know what she's going to do. And the man of God shows up and says, feed me first and then you guys. And you know what she does? Out of her sacrifice. She just goes ahead. And then every time after she gets hungry and her boy every day, when she goes back to the barrel, she doesn't come to a full barrel, there's just enough for the next meal. When she goes to the oil vase, there's just enough oil to make the, the cornbread or whatever she was making. Until the famine was over, she was blessed and even after. Uh, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about... Somebody said to me this week, they were blessed unexpectedly. They were blessed by somebody else remembering them. And the person who chose to remember them chose to be anonymous and gave them a substantial gift through the church and asked me to pass it on to them, which I gladly did. And this person said, one of their family come and see me and said, one of their family members tell them that you don't have to give out of people's gift to you. In other words, if somebody gives you an offering or a gift or a contribution, you only tithe out of your income and you don't give anything else, tithe or give out of any other money. I said, wait just a minute, brother. Would you have gotten this large gift if God didn't get... Oh, I feel a glory coming on. Would you have gotten this large gift that you didn't earn, you didn't, you didn't know it was coming from, but God knew what your need would be today? Would you have gotten that if God didn't give it to you? I said, brother... You take and give from that money a portion back to God because of sowing seed. I have this question asked me all the time. Pastor, do I give out of my gross or do I give out of my net? I have a question for you. Which one do you want God to bless? Huh? I think you want God to bless the larger portion, okay? So, because here's, my, here's the thing I want you to learn. You and I cannot outgive God. Oh. And so this, this thing about making excuses for people and bailing them out, if God stood by in a temple and saw a widow giving her last might and didn't stop her because he knew the principle would work for her too, yes, amen. it'll work for you. Yes. Oh yeah. Didn't God take the lunch of a little boy? After, after, I'm talking God in the flesh, Jesus. After preaching all day in the wilderness and the crowds were now hungry and tired. A little boy missed school that day, took his sack lunch. He was supposed to go to school and eat his lunch. But he got so curious at a large crowd following Jesus, he decided to follow the crowd and miss school and, and explain it to mama later. 
Disciples says, it's late, Jesus. End of the day, send these people out. There are 5,000 men, the Bible said, in the crowd. Not counting women and children. 5,000. If you count the women and children in the crowd, you could safely assume that there were 10,000 people there. Jesus said, what well, you got to eat? We got to feed these people. They've been here all day. Can't send them home hungry. <laughs> Disciples said, what do you mean, Jesus? There ain't no Chick-fil-A nearby. And even if there were crystals, and we could buy crystals that used to be a quarter apiece. I don't know what they are now because I've changed my cuisine a little bit. I'm now I'm eating the fatter burgers. And you can tell the evidence is all around me. Anyhow, I'll drink to that. <laughs> what are you talking about, Jesus? We feeding these people. Jesus said, what do you have? Somebody rounded up this boy's lunch. All we got this little boy's lunch. He got two loaves and one fish. Or maybe a couple fish. Five loaves, pardon me. Five loaves and a couple fish. And one disciple said, what is this among so many people? 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Count the women and children, 10,000. He says, sit them down, sit them down. He prayed over it. Prayed over the five loaves, two fish. And he broke it and started handing disciples. They handed out, handed out. Everybody got fed and there were 12 baskets of loaves and fishes left over. Let me tell you something. That boy who gave his lunch was worried about how he going to explain to his mama why he missed school. He didn't have to explain when he got home because the 12 baskets went home with him. But Pastor, where you get that idea the 12 baskets went home? Isn't he the one who gave the, the, the lunch in the first place? Huh? You know, don't you know the giver gets blessed first in return? My mama's thinking, miss school tomorrow. Let's see what we can do about the mortgage. I'm only kidding. That's not in scripture. Here's something else I want you to see. Jesus watched the content of their gift. Not just the circumstances, but verse 42 says in your Bible that the widow put in two mites into the treasury. A mite was the smallest denomination of coin that was printed in the Greek world. A mite, known as a Greek lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N, a mite was a Greek lepton, not leprechaun. And a mite was worth one 128th of a day's wage. Did y'all get that? One 128th of a day's wage. That wasn't enough money to buy a crumb of bread for this widow. And Jesus watched the content of her giving. She throws the two mites into the funnel of the receptacle for the offering. He doesn't even make diddly squat noise. So you know she wasn't picked up for that. From the gaze of Jesus. What happens here is... Jesus knows everything. He knows she has two mites. She could have kept one for herself and put one in the treasury. She threw them both in. Because she understood that God has already blessed me so much. And he deserves my best. And I'm going to give him my all. Now I'm not suggesting to you that you go home and sell your car and sell your house and sell your kids and bring the money back to the church. There are times when God will say, sell this or sell that. I'm not saying that everybody here should go out and sell and give everything financially like that. There are times when God will tell you and you'll know what to do. But here, here is the, here's the thing I want you to examine with me. When we examine our finances, all of us, especially those who are, us who are adults, when we examine our finances over a lifetime, it gives us insight into the question of whether we have anything to give to the Lord or not. Think about this with me. If a person at age 25 begins earning $15,000 a year and earns $15,000 a year, no increases, no minuses, till age 65, 40 years, 
At the end of 40 years, this person would have had passed through their hands $600,000 for which they'll have to stand before God and give an account of how that was used. If you take that another person and that person, therefore, was making $30,000 a year from age 65, pardon me, age 25 to age 65. They're now making $30,000 a year, double. Then by the end of 40 years, they would have made $1.2 million that passed through their hands. It is not so much about what you have right now as to whether you can give or not. It is so much about what God has entrusted to you over a period of time. And the more you obey God in tithe and offerings and giving, the more he entrusts to your hands that you're able to be a blessing. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus is not nearly as interested in the total amount of money you make by the end of your life as he's interested in how you manage what he's given to you during your life. You know, many of the Pharisees who were giving that day, there were many wealthy people in Jerusalem and around. There were people who came through that line and threw their money in the metal funnel and went into the receptacle who were far more wealthy than this woman and gave far more than she did. But she got the recognition from Jesus because of the proportion she gave in light of what she possessed. The other people who, some of the crowd, not all of them, were tipping God in light of what God has blessed them with. We're just doing a social obligation. Everybody's giving, so I guess I better give it. I won't look bad. And here's what God is saying to all of us. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, my children. So that I can bless you, he says. I'm preaching this series because I see in my congregation time and time again, people struggling. And, and the Holy Spirit tells me to show them God's principle of living in the blessed zone. I'm not just preaching here to generate an income for this church so that, so that we can look good with somebody else. I'm preaching here to give you God's plan of your personal prosperity. That the Bible says when you bring the tithe to the Lord that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He'll protect your children, protect your marriage, bless your body, bless your mind, give you long life, and destroy the yoke of the enemy. And if you'll prove God, he'll bless you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God's measure and blessings is far better than what you could ever hope to expect from the stock market, mutual funds, or CDs. Yes. And God's saying, I want to bless you first. And when you obey me with your tithe and offerings, and you give to me, I'm also blessing the church and the kingdom of God because of your giving. And so the question for Alan Matura and for all the rest of us today is this. Does the amount we give represent us? Let me show you what I mean. The pastor was receiving an offering for a project in the church and asking the people to give above their tithing offerings a gift. Maybe it was the building program, maybe it was a missionary endeavor, whatever it was. He says to the people, let your giving represent you. Now the tithe is, God is asking for all of us to be obedient there, requiring for us. But the offering is based upon your ability, because it's above the tithe. The, the, the woman came to the pastor appealing for a project in the church and wanted him to know personally she was giving. And she was a woman of means resources and she gave him a check for $50 and she said is that sufficient 
And he said to her, it is if it really represents you. Because according to your blessings, you give. She grabbed it back and says, here, give it to me. Took it, went home. Holy Spirit dealt with her and she came back. Wrote a check for $5,000. And she says, here, is that sufficient? And he says, well, it is if it truly represents you and what God has blessed you with. Grabbed it back, grunted a little bit, snarled, and angrily walked out. Next week she came and bought him a check for $50,000. She says, here, this is my offering, and it represents me, and I'm not fixing to take it back, so don't ask me if it represents me. And I said that because the point is this. It's not the amount. It's whether the amount represents us. Somebody ought to say amen. You know, it's amazing how uh, we start off with little income, how it's easy to give the law a 10%. Because after all, we didn't have nothing anyhow, and we got this, so we got a $100 bill. And God says 10% is $10, and we put it in the tithe, and okay. Get starting getting the increase because we're sowing the seed and uh, get $500 and $50 as 10%. Okay, I'll do that. God starts blessing and the increase come and the time go on and you get promotion and raises and blessings of unexpected places like Josh was talking about. $1,000 a week. That means $100 a month. I mean a week of tithe, 10%. It's amazing how the devil will try to get you to hold on to what don't belong to you anyhow. Uh, Pastor Criswell from the famed First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas tells this story. He's going on to be with the Lord Pastor Criswell, but, but his uh, sermon series on stewardship caused the response for, from a uh, member in the church to come see him one day. And I'm told that nobody could preach stewardship and giving like Pastor Criswell of First Baptist Dallas. And in that particular time and phrase, uh, the oil millionaires and billionaires and people of large uh, means, meaning financially, would attend the church. And this one guy comes to see the pastor and he says, Pastor, uh, you know, God's not blessing me like he used to bless me. Some in time going by, well, what's God doing that? He said, well, Pastor said, well, let's examine it. Uh, oh, you give in to God? Well, Pastor, when I was making $100, easy to give him $10. And I started making, God bless me, I started making $500, I gave him $50. And, and Pastor, I remember when, wow, I started making 1000 then I started making 5000 a week, and it was $500. Pastor, now, over the years, my income has tripled and quadrupled and multiplied until I'm making major amount of money. And I just, I just not able to give to God from that large amount of money. I should say, okay, I understand. Let's pray. Let's pray, son. Wondered about why you're not getting blessed, so let's pray. Pastor kneel over, stretch his arm around the guy's shoulder, and begin to pray. Lord, would you reduce this brother's income to the level where it's comfortable for him to pay? And the, you get the point. The brother said. I understand, Pastor. I understand perfectly well. I'm fine where I am. Count on me next Sunday. 
You know, let me show you the calculation. The final thought I have here is the calculation concerning the gift. Jesus is math, M-A-T-H, is numbers. And not often like our numbers, especially in this area of obedience and giving. Uh, Jesus said, look, look in verse 43. He called his disciples himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this widow woman has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Whoa, what do you mean Jesus? More? Didn't you see the rich people? Didn't you see? Didn't you see how the priest and the Levites standing in the collection room watching the people give would nod? A nod of approval when the rich people would throw in their many coins. The pastor liked that. Jesus, what are you talking about? She gave more than all these other people. You told us she only gave two mites. Jesus said, she gave more because here's a thought I want you to grasp. God evaluates our giving not so much by what we give as by what we have available to give. Mad in America? And I'll say us and maybe you'll agree and if you don't, then you don't have to, you don't have to agree. It's when we find out that AIG was given billions in bailout and hiding the fact that they're going to use it. They're going to pay themselves for their failures. Preach. I'm a preacher. Business as usual. Give me a high five. You anointed and didn't know it, boy. You do know it too. What makes us mad is they're stealing from us. Huh? And, and I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't get bald-headed just because I want to comb my hair differently. I got bald-headed for being a pastor for 24 years too. And, and I got this way because I just worry, 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 worry. And I, I don't, listen to me, listen to me, okay? If God sees, I, I want to be the pastor here, I want to be a pastor till I die, and as long as I have the energy and strength, I'll retire from it and go and bless somebody else in another line of work, if that's what, but here's the point, whether I'm here or not, whether you go to South Metro or First Baptist or, or Methodist or Episcopal, if you believe the Bible, if you believe the Word of God, then you are responsible for what you've heard. And I'm telling you the principle of tithing and giving and giving in obedience and giving according to what we've been blessed is a principle that comes from a God that will not lie. And what God is saying is if you will open your hands towards me, I'll fill it and then you'll pass it on to bless somebody else. God says I want people with open hands. Let me show you what I mean here. People with an open hand are those who allow God to put money in their hand and allow it to leave their hand to meet the needs of others. You know what, what the devil tell to, say to us in economically suppressed times? We get money, we get pay, we get compensated. And we want to hold it tight with what if. What if I give 10% to God? What will I do about next week? What if I give a tithe or offering to missionaries or orphan or help somebody? Or, or what, 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 uh, what, what if the economy goes bad? What if about my help? What, what, what if, what if, what if? And so God opens his hand and gives it to us and we clinch it like this. Because we're worried about tomorrow when the Lord says, I, I told you, take no thought about tomorrow. If I clothe the lily of the fields and take care of the birds of the air, and I know the number of hair on your head and you can't by worrying, worry, you can't by worrying add one inch to your stature or take away an inch. If I took care of all those things, will I not more take care of 
of you, my precious ones. So God says, when I give you, don't clench your fist. Open your hand. Don't come running up there. That's my money. You see what I'm saying? Because, oh, I still had some in my hand. I really didn't know. Next, next, help me with that slide. People with an open hand have learned to trust God. In the Bible, you see the contrast. You see people with open hands and clenched fists. I'm going to wrap it up here, okay? I know you're all getting hungry. And, but, okay, thank you, thank you. That sister's from Trinidad. She's also anointed. Hey, listen. Here's the point. You remember Abraham in the Bible? He'd be one of the open hand servants. Remember? He tithed and gave and blessed the Lord. And God made his, his uh, family and his sons and daughters that he promised would be as numerable as the stars of the heavens. You can't even number them because they're the Jews. How many know the Jews are almost innumerable today? Did God keep his word? Abraham's open hand. You remember Lot? Remember Lot? His nephew, everything Lot got in his life up until he separated ways with Abraham is because of Abraham's generosity. And it got so, that both of their properties, meaning their personal livestock and everything, got so large they couldn't exist on the same ranch. And Abraham says to Lot, out of the abundance of his open hand and heart, says, Lot, you look wherever you want to, east, west, north, or south, you take whatever you want, I'll take the rest. You know what Lot does? Because he's got clenched fists, he saw the best, and he took it from his uncle. He should have taken the least and say, everything I got, my uncle gave me, I want to bless my uncle, but he took it. And you know how, you know how Lot died, don't you remember? Don't you, don't you know how Lot had, had he, he, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? His wife became a pillar of salt. His, he, his, his, his daughters became pregnant with his children. You, you all understand what I'm saying? You understand the principle in the Bible of open hand, closed? There's more, but let me just touch on one more. You remember when the woman came to Jesus violating social mores, social values? When she came in the presence of Jesus with other men and it was not permissible for a woman to come uninvited in the presence of men unless she was a servant. You remember that woman took a alabaster box, a small box that had expensive perfume. And you remember that she didn't ask anybody's permission. She found where Jesus was that evening, went into the house, broke the box and poured the perfume over his head and it ran down his body this was by, prior to his crucifixion she didn't even know that that was coming open hand you know why she did that? because she was one whom Jesus delivered some time ago from the power of darkness and demons and sin and she just thought See, uh, biblical scholars tell us that the expense of that perfume and the box was probably being saved by this woman as a dowry to take into her wedding. And she would sell that fragrance and she would get the money from it and she could start and her husband their new house. But because Jesus had forgiven her sins and delivered her from demons and nobody would give her the time of day because she was a mocked woman, Jesus took the time to bless her. She thought, I can't do enough for him. I'm going to break the most expensive gift I have. He was open to me, and I'm going to open my generosity to him. And Jesus commended her. You know what? Judas, Judas was there. Judas said, why was this expensive fragrance 
wasted in this manner? Could not this fragrance have been sold and the money from it taken and given to the poor? And the Bible says not that he cared about the poor because he was a thief. You remember, Judas was the man who handled the money for the ministry and he would steal from Jesus' money. He didn't just steal from Jesus' money, he sold Jesus for 30 lousy pieces of silver. Amen. Closed hands, open hands. I want to be open hand. Bow your heads, please.